Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Thank you for all that great singing. That was awesome singing, and thank you for the worship team for leading us in that. My name is Joe Katulski. Uh, some of you might know me, some of you don't, but I am the campus pastor at our LaPorte campus, and so this week, um, because of the nature of the Psalms, we actually get to trade pulpits and uh, preach in different spots and preach different Psalms, and so it's been really fun to do that. So I just rushed over. I'm, I'm, I'm really not used to the new schedule here. So I just rushed over, preached at Sacred Ground, and now I'm here, and so I was like, am I on time? I think I am, so... Well, we're so we're so glad to be here today, aren't we? Yeah. All right. I'm going to start us off with a question. When was the last time that you intentionally said thank you? Some of you are like this morning and that's just, that's awesome, right? So, what I'm getting at is more than just the common courtesy politeness, right? Not just the the food came out of the the kitchen at the restaurant and you're like, oh, thank you for the food. You're like, I'm hungry and I got the food, thank you, right? And that's good. We should all be polite. I'm not telling you to stop being polite, right? But I'm talking about that, that, that intentional gratitude where you think about what you're gonna say and then you say it. And maybe the last time for you was at the Thanksgiving um, table. A lot of families have this tradition where everybody sits around and uh, there's this time before you get to like dig into the meal, everyone says something they're thankful for. And inevitably, the first person who goes, which is never me, the first person who goes will say this, I'm thankful for family. And you're like, oh, not because it's not true, not because you're not thankful for family, but because that was the one you were going to take. And you're like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll think of another one. Next person goes, and they're like, I'm thankful for my kids. And you're like, that's what I was going to say. And the next person says, I'm thankful for my health. And you're like, well, they took that one too. And then the next person says, I'm thankful that we can all be here together, which is the same as I'm thankful for family. But you're like, they took that one too. And so you're sitting there thinking, what am I going to say I'm thankful for? Because everyone's taken something, and I don't have any... I don't know what I'm going to say. Okay, maybe that's just me, okay? And maybe I need to work on gratitude in my own life and heart, okay? But the reality is, is humans don't say thank you as often as we should. This is a deep-seated human problem because when we don't bother to say thank you very often to humans that are around us, that we see every day, that we can easily say thank you to, when are we going to start saying thank you to God? Because we don't see him every day. We don't see, you know, we don't see him moving around and walking around. Like, we, we don't see him like we do a, pe- a person. This is the concern that our psalm has today. We're in this series called Being Honest with God. And a lot of times when we talk about being honest with God or using honest language, sometimes we talk about like, like, like that like raw emotion and that complaining and that like, I'm mad God or I'm upset or I'm sad. And, and, and that's what we're talking about. Like being honest with God includes that kind of speech. 
But being honest with God also includes letting our hearts overflow with praise and gratitude because he has rescued us, because he has redeemed us, because he has like blessed us, because he has given us good things. And so our heart should overflow with gratitude. But so often we don't overflow with gratitude. One of the concerns of the book of Psalms is the same concern that parents have with their kids. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you're very familiar with this. And that is every day you're trying to get your kids or your grandkids to say thank you, please, or I'm sorry. And you're constantly after them. You're constantly saying, say thank you, say thank you, say please. And you're constantly saying this as a parent, right? And this is just what parents do. And it's not just because we want them to parrot the words. Like we don't want our kids to be like, like we don't want them to just say the words. We teach them over and over and over again to say thank you because we want them to mean the words. We want them to say thank you, and when they say thank you, that they actually, it overflows from their hearts and that there's actual gratitude that's coming out from their hearts and they're recognizing what they just received and they say thank you. The psalm is written in such a way to train our typically thankless hearts to not just say the words, but to mean them as well. Today we're going to look at Psalm 118 to see what being thankful to God looks like. And my hope is that this will be not just a practice of saying the words, but it'll become something that helps us to see how grateful we can be towards God. And that by practicing the words, we'll become thankful people. Look at the very first verse. Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. These are the words our hearts must learn to say. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There are several psalms that use this exact phrase to focus our thankfulness towards God. There are many more that use the word that's used for give thanks in the psalms. And that word in Hebrew is yada. And this word can be translated either as to give thanks or to praise. Now when we say thank you or we're saying like we, we have that idea, often we're we're kind of saying it in response to a social situation. Like something happens and we just kind of respond. And, and the, the origin of our English word actually has to think about, to remember, to kind of like, th- like think about in a positive way, right? That's what our thank you kind of means in English. But in the Hebrew way of thinking, this yada word, this give thanks word, is not just to say thank you, but it's to praise God. So the idea in Hebrew is to either to give thanks or to praise, and they're interchangeable concepts. And in fact, if you were to look in your English copies of the Word of God and you were to look for all the places that it says give thanks or all the places where it says praise, you can actually almost in every case flip 
that word, flip the translation, and it could mean basically the same thing. Because in the Hebrew way of thinking, praising God and giving thanks are virtually the same thing. This word appears about 100 times in the Bible, and about 66 of those times it appears in the Psalms. So one of the primary concerns for the Psalms is that we actually give thanks to God. One of the main reasons God gives us these words is to release the praise from our souls. Verse 1 again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We praise God because he is good, and his goodness is steadily going out to all people. The love that he had before the beginning of time with the Trinity, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father and, and the Holy Spirit with the Father and the, with this whole Trinity idea, the idea that, that the Trinity, that God had loved each other, loved themselves, that love itself is who God is. It started way back before we ever existed, before the foundations of the earth. That is what this praise is based on. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. But the nice thing about it is that his steadfast love doesn't just stay back over there to himself, but he shares it with us. We get his goodness, we get his love, and then it endures forever. We get to look forward into the future at the way the same steadfast love that was and is who God is, it's also for us. His steadfast love endures forever. But who is this love for? Who's supposed to thank the Lord for it? After this general invitation to give thanks to the Lord, the song gets more specific. Verse, verse 2. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist is building on this idea that his steadfast love endures forever, and he's building the case that there are multiple groups of people that should be saying, praise you, God. Thank you. He starts first with Israel, the whole people of God. He starts with them because that's who he's primarily addressing, the whole people of God. And second after that is the house of Aaron, which is the priests and religious leaders who were paid and required to lead God's people in praise. And the house of Aaron would have also been the group of people who not only like, did the sacrifices and were a part of that whole, whole program, but they were also the people who in a lot of cases actually sang. So they were the worship leaders singing and helping people sing and, and in many cases singing these songs, these psalms. So who's supposed to give thanks to the Lord? Well, it's the house of Aaron. That's an obvious group. And then we have a third group. Those who fear the Lord. Which is an open invitation to any and all people around the world who worship God. So who's supposed to thank the Lord? 
everybody. I'm going to ask it again. Who's supposed to thank the Lord? That's right, everybody. That's you, that's me, that's every single one of us around that Thanksgiving table waiting for something to say. Everyone who has been loved by God should give thanks to God. Now many of the Psalms of Thanksgiving start in the past. Most of them actually start in the past where they start to tell the story of this is what God did in our history and that God has brought us to this point and so now we can praise him. Most of the, the, the Thanksgiving Psalms actually look at the past and they look at the Exodus when the people of Israel left Egypt and they have so many things to praise God for because of that, right? Most of them start there and then they might go in a different direction. But this Psalm does not do that. Instead, this Psalm chooses to focus on God's presence deliverance and his future deliverance. So, there's a couple reasons given in the psalm for praising God. First one is this. We praise God because he answers us in our distress. We praise God because he answers us in our distress. Look at verse 5. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. When we are distressed, we can call out to God and he can hear us. When we are discouraged, we can call out to God and he can hear us. When we're depressed, we can call out to God and he can hear us. When we're worried, when we're afraid, when we're grieving, when we've lost something, we can call out to God and he hears us. Now, we're church folks. We do this on Sunday. This is normal for us, right? But think about how unusual and what a privilege it is that when we are distressed, our God hears us. That the God of the universe, who at the beginning of time was love and had everything in himself that he needed, he didn't need to share any of it, a self-contained God of the Trinity, he could do what he wanted. He, in our distress, hears us. That is incredible. And it's a reason for praise. Are you stressed by your work? call out to God. Are you discouraged by where you are in life? Call out to God and he will answer you. Are you grieving a loss? Cry out to God and he will answer you and set you free from the burden of your grief. And for all of this, we praise God. We can also praise God because he helps us when people try to hurt us. Look at verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Often our distress is caused by people. And this is kind of a no-brainer, right? But often our distress, our trouble, our discouragement, it's caused by something that happened with people around us. Maybe it's a broken relationship or it's it's somebody who treated you poorly, or maybe it's gossip, or it's slander, it's, it's somebody who's mistreating you at work, or mistreating you. Whatever it is, it's this, that people, like, treat you poorly, and this is what 
the scriptures promise that the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We have nothing to fear because what can a human do to us if God is on our side? We can also praise God because he is more reliable than people. Look at verse 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You can kind of tell the psalm is getting more and more intense as it goes, and it's going to continue to do that. It's happening is that he's, he's saying, you have distress and you call and I answer you, but not only that, I am the option that you have. It's better to take refuge in me than it is to trust in any person, even if that person is very, very powerful. He is better help than any human could be. The next election season, we should hang on to this verse as a reminder about where our hope really comes from. Our culture is so enamored with this idea that if there's problems, then we solve them with political solutions. We're so enamored with this idea that if we just get the right powerful person in the right uh, political office, that, that all of our trouble will go away, that we'll create some kind of weird utopia, that everything will just be perfect. And we know that's not true, but we still put our hopes on. We don't call them princes, but we put our hopes on princes. And this is what the scriptures say. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. We can also praise God because he is our salvation. Look at verse 10. All nations surrounded me In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tent of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. In the right hand of the Lord exalts the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. This psalm keeps intensifying, and the word picture now is not just of distress or, or something happening, but it's, it's of this, like, being surrounded on every side, and the picture is kind of of, of, of being of a nation, of all these nations surrounding a smaller nation, or, or maybe it's this, this small troop of soldiers that are trying to last through the night, and they're in their foxhole, and the enemies are surrounding them on every side, and, and the psalmist compares them to bees that are swarming around them. You swat one, and the next one comes and stings you, and they're after you, and after you, and after you, and the psalmist is picturing this, this distress and this trouble, and I don't think most of us have had this kind of intense real life, like surrounded by actual enemies who are trying to destroy us. There's probably a few in here, but most of us haven't experienced what's being written about here. 
maybe our closest comparison in this culture in this time right now is Ukraine and Russia and you have this smaller nation coming uh, with like being attacked by this larger more powerful nation and you and, and the whole world is kind of rallied around this underdog right and this is maybe the closest thing we have to this word picture but the psalmist is trying to pull us in to this troubling and distressing and tr- like like you're in a foxhole and you you're pinned down and the enemy fire is coming the bees are attacking the fire is all around and it's this this terrifying word picture but he keeps saying the Lord is there to help. And I was able to, to stop them, cut them off from attacking me. The, Lord, the psalmist is trying to pull us into this picture and show us how loving and strong God is. He is mighty and good, and he can easily defeat our greatest enemy. He is so good that he can save us from trouble. God is our salvation. Now, for most of us in church, we normally think, when we hear the word salvation, we normally think spiritual salvation. We normally think the work of Christ on the cross, and that's a good thing to think. In this psalm, it's very clear, actually, I would say it's not very clear if we're talking about physical or spiritual salvation. If you read verses 13 through 18, it could mean either. It could mean salvation, rescue from actual enemies. And that's most likely the context of this psalm was written when there was actual enemies pinning someone down. Not David, it's not a psalm of David, but somebody. But you could just as easily read these psalms, these words, in a spiritual way that, that God is our salvation. And he's supplying us with the help we need and he's supplying us with our hope. Anybody who has fallen into sin and fallen short of the glory of God, which, by the way, is all of us. Any one of us who have fallen short of the of glory of God, any one of us who has fallen into sin have experienced the distress of this world. Any one of us who have been rescued by the blood of Christ have experienced the God of salvation. And for that, we can praise him and say, Like verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So we praise God because he is our salvation. Not only that, this is number five. We praise God because he planned to save us all along. This is where the the psalm pivots from uh, praising God for his present deliverance from trouble to a future focus on what how God will save us in the future what we see here for us will actually be past because what's referenced here is actually uh, like occurred in Christ in the cross but for the people first receiving these psalms they would actually have seen this as something that had not yet happened and so so the things talked about in the next couple of verses they actually take place in the future for the people who first received these words not only has god become our salvation but he was planning on being our salvation all along look at verse 19 open to me the gates of righteousness that i may enter through them and give thanks to the lord This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Now I had 
I made a point of saying that the verses 13 through 18 could be read either as physical or spiritual salvation, right? In those, in those verses, it could go either way. But you get to this point, verse 19, and now we're talking about the gates of righteousness and that the righteous enter through them. And this is the gate of the Lord, right? And we, and we, all of a sudden, we're not just talking about some kind of spiritual salvation or so physical salvation where we're rescued from our troubles in life, but we're actually talking about the spiritual dimension of God's salvation. To open the gates of righteousness, which is to say that God has a city and on the inside of that city is righteousness. Very, the very rightness of God is on the inside of the city of righteousness. He controls the gates. They're his gates. And the righteous enter into those gates and into that city. For us to be righteous and to be saved, we have to enter through those gates. Now, the next verse is actually kind of bring up a possible trouble that happens with those gates. Verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. God entrusted builders to help with these gates, the gates of righteousness. The psalmist is making this word picture. He trusted these people to oversee and help him kind of make sure that people were entering in and the righteous were coming and people were becoming more righteous and experiencing the city of righteousness. And he did this. But these builders had a different plan than God. And instead of inviting them in, they blocked the way. This doesn't cause distress for God. It just gives him a reason to show off a little bit. What was something bad, the builders rejecting the stone, suddenly becomes something good. The rejected stone becomes the cornerstone. Now a cornerstone is this this large stone that would have been like an unusually large, most likely like hewn stone that would have been placed at the corners of a building. And all of the bricks that made up the walls of the building and made up the walls of the, the city's walls would be stacked up against that cornerstone. And so the, the, the weight of the bricks and the weight of the wall, the weight of the structure would lean against those cornerstones. So if you were to remove the cornerstone, the entire structure would fall, off, fall down because it was based and built on the cornerstone. The builders had a stone and instead of keeping the stone as the center part of what was the, the city of righteousness, they rejected it. But the stone that had been rejected became the cornerstone. And this same stone is Jesus. Jesus is the rejected stone and the religious leaders are the builders who reject Jesus. And the rejection is the cross and all the adversity that Jesus faces. But because Jesus died on the cross, 
He became the cornerstone, the foundation for everything that we believe. He preserves the way of righteousness for God's people so that we can enter the gates and we can go into the city of God's righteousness. And that's all accomplished because of Jesus. And then the New Testament writers get a hold of this psalm and they cannot let it go. It is repeated again and again and again in the New Testament. I'm going to read Acts 4.11. This is Peter after he had been in jail and he's answering the, the, the religious leaders. He says this, Acts 4.11, This Jesus is the stone or is rejected by you, which Peter's making it personal, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God planned the salvation all along. He knew when Psalm 118 was written before Jesus was born, he knew that Jesus would be rejected as if he was worthless, that he would be rejected by the leaders, some of the same people that this psalm is addressed to, the house of Aaron, the people of Israel, rejected by those people, and yet he becomes the cornerstone of all who fear the Lord. God planned to save us all along, and this is something we can praise him for. The whole point of this psalm is to help us praise God who has given us reason after reason after reason for giving thanks to him. It's a way of ending. We're gonna praise God in prayer. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and and we're just gonna kind of work our way through the psalm a little bit and just praise God the way he leads us in this psalm. We give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you for hearing us in our distress and in our trouble. Thank you for listening to this church. This church has had its own distress and its own troubles. Thank you for listening and hearing us and being our help, being present for us, God. Lord, when people have tried to hurt us, try to accuse us, try to make us look bad, try to lie about us, Lord, you have been with us, right next to us. We praise you for that. Lord, we praise you and we turn to you because you are our hope and you are the only help that we need. Lord, we praise you more than we praise any other political leader or powerful leader anywhere. We praise your name and lift you high. Lord, you are more reliable than any human. Can we praise you especially for our salvation? That you wanted us in the city of righteousness. You wanted us to be with you. That you wanted us to know your goodness and your steadfast love and we praise you that you keep giving it to us that even though at times we've been surrounded by enemies, at times when we've had people, we've had the devil come against us, Lord, we praise your name because you have preserved us and you've given us your salvation. 
You've given us a way of righteousness. Thank you for planning this all along. Thank you that when human troubles came, that you didn't get scared, you didn't run away, you didn't ignore, but that you leaned in, you listened, and then you helped. We praise you and we lift you high for this. It's a way of ending this prayer. I'm gonna read from Psalm 118, verses 28 and 29. You are my God. We give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.